And what we get to do now, we get to get into God's Word. We get to get into 1 Timothy as we've been going through for a number of months now. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to finish chapter 4 today. We're going to go through verses 11 through 16 as we continue to look at, through 1 Timothy, what are the house rules of the family of God? What are the things that guide us in how we interact with one another and live our lives? And the house rule that we're going to talk about today is going to be in chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So you can read along if you have a Bible, and if you don't, you'll see the verses up here on the screen behind me. Starting in verse 11, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of God. And in that passage, in essence, Paul is speaking to Timothy. Throughout this whole letter, Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he knows other people are going to overhear. He knows this letter is going to be read for the church also. Whether or not he knows that 2,000 years ago, people are still, 2,000 years later, people are still going to be reading it, that, that's not clear. But he knows it's going to go out to other people, but he's also speaking specifically to Timothy. And so let's just start with that for a moment. Paul just gave Timothy a whole bunch of commands. A whole bunch of very personal commands. In fact, in six verses, 10 commands. He came in a rapid fire because the thing that he's telling Timothy, and the thing eventually we're all going to see also, is that Timothy is going to say, Paul's going to say, you know what, Timothy? In the family of God, one of our house rules is that we fulfill our calling. And he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, during the time that God has you in this setting, During the time that you're in leadership of the people of God in Ephesus, Timothy, fulfill your calling. Or there's another three-word way that we can put what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying to Timothy, Timothy, do your job. Timothy, do your job. You can't control everything else in the world around you, but do your job. And part of the reason why he's telling Timothy to do his job is because Timothy has been called into ministry. Timothy is doing something really important. And you know, if you talk to just about any pastor or missionary or other sort of church leader or somebody who does their job in a way as a Christian leader, you'll find the common thread in almost all of them, they'll be able to tell you about the time in their life where they sensed that God was calling them to ministry. And some of the stories are really, really dramatic, and they involve maybe a dream or something specifically that they felt like God was saying to them, or a dramatic event that turned their life around and ended up leading to them believing that they were called to ministry. And other times, it's not quite as dramatic. It might be more gradual, that they felt like God was putting it on their heart, and then through a series of events, they ended up believing that they were called to ministry. And probably you've heard at least some of these stories, and often they're great stories. They encourage us, they build us up in our faith, we, we, we get fired up by them. 
But here's the danger of these stories. The danger of these stories is that they can leave us with the impression that there's a group of people who are called to ministry and then there's everybody else. And you could even look at this passage and say, this passage is about somebody who's called to ministry. So this is a passage that I can relax. <laughs> the pastors and elders have got to listen. Anybody thinking, go, thinking about going on the mission field needs to listen. Or if anybody's an overachiever and they want to be a really great Christian, I guess they may listen. But this is for people who are called to ministry. And then there's the rest of us. And the bottom line is, Every believer in Jesus Christ is called to ministry. Ministry simply means service. It means we are all called to serve God. We are all called to serve His people. For some people, it is going to be their nine-to-five job, but for everybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ, we are called to ministry. So when we look at this passage about Paul saying to Timothy, do your job, we need to remember also that every believer in Jesus has a calling to fulfill. So as we overhear Paul saying to Timothy, Timothy, do your job, you know what Paul is also saying to every single one of us? Do your job. You have an important part to play in the work that God is doing in the world. And, and the way that these verses are going to unfold is sort of like this. Paul's going to say to Timothy, you know, there are different moments that you'll face, Timothy. There will be different things that come up. In fact, he's going to talk about three different kinds of moments that Timothy will face. And in each one of these moments, he's going to say, regardless of what happens, Timothy, in those moments, do your job. And so we'll walk through those moments. The first one is found in verses 11 and 12. And what Paul is going to say is, Timothy, do your job in difficult moments. It's not always going to be easy to fulfill your calling. There are going to be challenges ahead. Timothy, in difficult moments, do your job. And verse 11 is sort of the start to this entire passage, the overarching statement. He says, command and teach these things. And these things, in many ways, could refer back to everything else in the letter up to this point. And so the main thing Paul has been zeroing in on is the idea that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the center of our message. That's the center of our beliefs. And even these words command and teach are probably directed at two different kinds of people. Because throughout the letter, Paul has said to Timothy, Timothy, command false teachers to stop. Command them not to undercut the pure gospel of Jesus that were brought into the family of God, not through following a whole bunch of rituals, not by living up to God's standards for us. We are brought into the family of God by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So command people that are saying something different to stop. That's the command. And then the teaches, then turn to God's people who by faith have received that good gift of eternal life and teach them how to live that out on an everyday basis. Timothy, command and teach these things. And then he's going to get more specific. Verse 12, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. I just quick survey. How many of you in your younger years, or some of you still are younger, at least in my opinion, um, <laughs> how many of you attended uh, a church youth group at some point in your life? All right, a whole bunch of us did. If you attended a church youth group, you probably know this verse. 
This verse was like the banner verse for just about every youth group. Hey, we know you're high schoolers, we know you're junior hires, but don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. It's an encouraging verse if you're a young person in the faith. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And another way of putting this might be, don't let anyone disregard you because you're young. And Timothy, relatively speaking, was a young man at this point. We don't know exactly his age, but, but people estimate by when Paul first met up with him in Acts 16 and the different missionary journeys that happened and when this letter was probably written, is that at this time that Paul is writing this, Timothy is probably between 30 and 35 years old. Now, by the way, there was a time in my life where I would not have seen that as a young man, but now that I'm 41, I'm like, man, he was just a youth. He was just a young man. And he's not super young. But he's young enough that probably a lot of the people that Timothy is serving and a lot of the people that he's interacting with, in fact, a lot of the people that he's told to give commands to are older than him. And it would be easy for Timothy to feel intimidated because there are going to be some people that say, why should we listen to you? What do you know? Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And for some of you in this room, this exact statement, this exact thing that Paul is saying to Timothy, this is going to be a good word for you today. You're going to look and say, all right, well, you know, everybody's older than some people and younger than some people, but you can say, relatively, I'm a young person. This is encouraging. Just because I'm young doesn't mean that I don't have an important part to play in what God is doing. But let me also stretch this out to say there are other reasons why people are disregarded, and I think that this verse is equally applicable to them in many ways. So you might say, all right, I, I'm not disregarded because I'm too young, but you might feel like sometimes I feel like I'm disregarded because I'm too old, because I'm just treated like, what do you know? Your time is sort of past. You had your time. You can be disregarded for any number of reasons. There could be some settings where you say, I feel like I'm kind of disregarded because I'm a woman, or I feel like I'm disregarded because I'm a man. Or I feel like I'm disregarded because I don't have a seminary degree. Or sometimes you might feel like, I feel like I'm kind of disregarded because I do have a seminary degree because people treat me like I don't really know what I'm talking about in everyday life. Some of you might think I, I'm being disregarded because I'm not successful enough in my job. Or I'm being disregarded because I have enough money that I'm not living like the ordinary person. There are a number of reasons why you could be disregarded. I think at the bottom line, what Paul is saying is, you know what, Timothy, there's something about you that you can't control. You can't control your age. You don't have anything that you can do about that. So don't let yourself be put off the goal that God has given you, the job that God has given you, just because there are going to be certain doubters. Now, let me bring a little bit of clarification to this, though, because there might be some of you that are like, yeah, I love this. I'm not ever going to let the doubters win. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, and nobody's going to talk me out of it. And the warning is just to say, don't throw off wise counsel from other people. There's wisdom in listening to other people. For example, if you're saying, I know, I know God has called me to music and to worship leading. I know He has. I'm absolutely convinced. And you're consistently getting feedback from other people that say, you are not good at this. You could respond and say, I'm not going to let anybody despise me. I'm not going to let anybody look down on me because of this. I know what God has called me to do, and I'm going to keep doing it. Just my gentle suggestion would be maybe that isn't what God has called you to do. God has called you. Now, if somebody is saying, you know what? You don't have anything to contribute. That's a lie. But the exact thing you've landed on right now might not be what God has you contributing long term. 
Everybody has something to contribute. But Paul isn't saying here to Timothy, Timothy, never take constructive criticism. What he is saying is don't let somebody keep you from doing your job because they're doubtful, especially when they're doubtful because of something that you have no control over. Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. After all, age doesn't necessarily mean wisdom. Youth doesn't necessarily mean simplicity. We all know older people who have not taken advantage of their opportunities for wisdom. And we all know young people who have taken opportunity of their more limited, taken advantage of their more limited opportunities to grow in wisdom. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And some of us think, I know what's coming next. I know what's coming next because we live in the 21st century in the United States. We're in Southern California. We believe in the self. We believe in the individual. So what Paul is about to say is, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. In fact, if anybody does, you put them in their place. You stand up for, the, for yourself. You demand respect from people. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers. Paul doesn't tell Timothy, you stand up for yourself. He says, if there are doubters, do your job. Set an example. And you know what? There may be certain people that they're never going to be convinced that you're worth following no matter what you do. But there's going to be a lot of people that start off as doubters. And when you live such an exemplary, godly life, they're going to have no choice but to come around. Timothy, you do your job. By the way, it's, it's worth just, just a pause right here. There's some of you that right now in your life, you have somebody who does not respect you and it drives you up the wall. You got a boss that's very condescending. You have a teacher that speaks down to you. You have somebody in your life that just disrespects you and you're just like, oh, it just drives you crazy. Let me just suggest that probably instead of God wanting you to get the message, it's time for me to stand up for myself. Instead, the message that you should get is, it's time for me just to quietly do my job and let God control the outcome. Are you a husband right now that's saying, my wife doesn't really respect me the way that she should? It's in the Bible, right? It's in the Bible. It says it in the Bible. Wives, respect your husbands. She's not really showing me respect in the way that she should. Now, now here's the deal. If you're a husband and, and that's what you're thinking, you're probably not saying it, but you're thinking right now, you're, you're doing like the most non-noticeable nod in the history of man. You're like... Mm. If, if that's the case, here's what I want to suggest. If she's, if she's not respecting you in the way that she should, God is more than capable with dealing with her on that. Your calling is not to make sure she does what she's supposed to do. Your calling is to do your job. Your calling is to love her as Jesus loves the church. Your calling is to sacrifice for her. And you know what? It's possible that she won't come around no matter how you behave. But it's also more than likely that if you're craving that respect, you're going to start getting it by doing your job. And by the way, if you're looking at this and you're saying, all right, he's saying I'm supposed to do my job instead of trying to control my wife. Have you ever tried to control your wife? We're not very good at it. So this is just a smart move anyway. And, and the flip side is true. If, if you're a wife and you're saying, gosh, my husband, he's, he's supposed to be taking the lead. He's supposed to be kind of the, the first one to, to, to apologize and to take the lead for the family. And he's supposed to be shepherding me and caring for me. And I don't feel like he's really doing a very good job of it. And I've spoken to him about it more than once. And I've told him that he should be doing these things. Here's what I want to suggest to you. It's okay for you to speak up. It's okay for you to say what you think should be happening. But there reaches a certain point where God's calling for you is simply do your job. 
In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter speaks to women, and specifically to women whose husbands are not Christians, and says, you are much more likely to win your husband over with quietness and with gentleness than you are with constant nagging. Do your job. Timothy, don't demand respect from them. Set an example. Do your job. Set an example in these five areas. There's lots more you can mention, but at least in these five areas. Set your example, set an example for the believers in speech. Make the things that you say be things that build other people up. Make the things that you say be things that are true. Have your conversation constantly peppered with things about Jesus to show people that that's where your focus is. Set an example with speech. Set an example with conduct. So the way that you just live your everyday life, the way that you behave towards other people is such a shining, powerful example of the kindness and gentleness of Jesus. Set an example with your conduct. Set an example with your love. Show yourself to be the kind of person who's willing to sacrifice so that other people benefit. Show yourself to be an example with faith so that you're willing to take risks that unless Jesus and His gospel are true, these risks will leave you high and dry. Set an example in faith and set an example in purity, which most likely here refers to sexual purity. Timothy and Ephesus in the first century when sexual immorality is widespread, set an example for purity. And thank God we live in the United States in 2019 and sexual immorality is no longer a problem. <laughs> set an example in purity. You know what, Timothy? There's going to be difficult times. There's going to be times when people doubt you. There's going to be times when people disregard you. And at that point, Timothy, your job is not to try to control the way other people behave. Your job is simple. Simply fulfill your calling. Simply do your job. Do your job, Timothy, in difficult times. And not only that, Timothy, but I also want you to do your job in the public moments. And what I mean by the public moments, what Paul is about to talk about here is he's talking, all right, Timothy, when you're formally discharging the responsibilities you've been given. And this is the part where, especially in verse 13, some of you might be thinking, all right, the, the things he's telling to Timothy are not the exact instructions for me to do my job with the people of God. Not all of us are going to be upfront speakers. And that's true. But the big picture of what he's saying is there are going to be moments where you are playing out your part in the body of Christ. There's going to be moments where it's go time. It's game time when it comes to leading your life group. It's game time when it comes to leading a small group with the life kids. It's game time when it comes to doing some administrative things to make sure that events happen. It's game time for using your gifts. And when it's game time, be faithful, do your job. In verse 13, he says, until I come, devote yourself to three things the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. And the first one is, is exactly what it sounds like. Timothy, when the church is gathered, give attention. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Because you know what, Timothy? Everything that you say afterwards is not as good as what you say when you read the Bible to the people. Um, we actually, a couple of years ago, well, we're, we're not sort of legalistic about it that it has to happen every time, but we sort of changed a habit with, with the sermons up here. And our, the, the habit that we used to have is that we, we would always read the passage, read the scripture, but it would be more gradual. We read a verse and explain it, read a verse and explain it, and sort of move through like that. And our habit now for the last couple of years is before we even get into the sermon, we just read the passage. And you know what? If you just heard the passage and tuned out the rest, which I don't recommend, but if you did that, 
you still would have heard the most important part of the entire sermon, the very Word of God. Everything I'm trying to do afterwards or Gary or Jeff or Kevin or anyone else, anything that we're doing after that is just trying to shed light on the Word of God. So Timothy, when he got them together, give attention to the reading of the Scripture. After all, in Timothy's day, they're not all bringing home their own Bibles. A lot of them aren't even literate. Timothy, give them God's Word. Feed them God's Word. Give attention to the public reading of Scripture and to preaching and to teaching. And there's lots of overlap with preaching and teaching, but but the way they differ seems to be this. With preaching, he's talking about the idea that when you're talking about God's Word, there are things that you are challenging and facilitating and trying to inspire people to do in response. That you're even trying to inspire people to feel in response. That we are getting to the heart of the gospel of Jesus, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And man, that brings an emotional response. That brings different actions. That brings hope. That brings joy. That brings resolve, that brings a heart for other people. So, all right, so to preach to the people, exhort them to respond, that's the preaching. And secondly, teach them. Make sure they understand it. Explain hard concepts to them. Make connections with other passages so that they understand how the big picture of this all works together. Timothy, when he got the people together in public settings, do your job, read the Bible, challenge them in light of the Bible, and explain the Bible. So that could be the part of the passage that we could say, all right, but that's more specific to Timothy. Verse 14, though, is going to broaden back in to all of us. Do not neglect your gift. Timothy has a gift. He has a gift given to him from the Holy Spirit. Most likely his gift has to do with the idea of shepherding and teaching and leading. Timothy, you have a gift. Don't neglect it. You know who else has a gift? every believer in Jesus Christ. We all have a job because we all have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. He says, Timothy, don't neglect your gift. In fact, he calls Timothy to sort of look backwards. He says, look back. The gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And we don't know the exact circumstances of this, but what Paul seems to be describing is some sort of public commissioning of Timothy, that there were prophecies over him, that there were predictions about what was going to happen through Timothy, that the Word of God was spoken about the gifts that God had given him, and that in a public setting, the elders had gathered around him, laid their hands on him, and publicly announced a recognition of Timothy's gift and Timothy's calling. And I I just got to imagine that part of what Paul is doing here is Paul is saying, all right, Timothy, there are probably times that you want to throw in the towel. There are probably times that you're not convinced you're God's man for the job here. But Timothy, I want you to think back to the time in your life that you were utterly convinced of what God had called you to do. And if you think back to the time that all the elders were gathered around, they'd laid their hands on you, they had announced to the church that they saw the gifts that you were given and the role that you were called to, Timothy, at that moment, I bet you were convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that you had a job that God was calling you to do. And not all of us are going to have something to look back on that's that dramatic or that, that, that's that pronounced, but I just want to take a moment and just invite you, think back to a time in your life where you were absolutely convinced of the gift that God had given you and what He called you to do with it. And I'll even say, don't get overly specific with this. And and what I mean is this. 
Um, so, so right, you know, right now I'm the teaching pastor at Life Bible Fellowship Church. God has at no point said to me in a way that, that I could understand, has said to me, Dan, you are supposed to be the teaching pastor at Life Bible Fellowship Church for the next number of years. I've never got that from God. Um, now that's the plan. That's what I think God wants me to do. I don't know. It's never gotten that specific. Here's what I am convinced of. God wants me to be teaching his word and shepherding his people. So you might say, well, I don't know that God's given me something so specific that I can draw back on. Maybe not, but maybe it's just specific enough that you can say, man, I remember when I became absolutely convinced that God had gifted me with kids and I was supposed to give my life to shepherding kids. And I remember when it was absolutely clear that I was supposed to be leading small groups to help people draw closer to Jesus. I remember when I became absolutely convinced that I was supposed to use my gifts behind the scenes to serve God's people. Think back to the time that you were convinced. And let me go further, because for some of you, you might think, well, I, I don't know that I've ever been convinced. I don't know that I'm convinced now. I know we talk about the idea that everybody has a gift, but I don't know what mine is or if I even have one. And so let me give you just a couple of pastoral suggestions. If you're sitting here saying, all right, I'll I'll take your word for it that I have a gift. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to figure that out. Here's a couple of suggestions. Number one, come talk to a pastor or elder, and we'll try to help you figure it out. Number two, start doing things. Start serving. Start trying things. You might just figure out what you're not gifted to do. You might be like, try greeting, cross that off. Let's try something else. Try things. And and let me get, this third one might sound trite, but I do want to say it. Um, If you're sitting here saying, I just don't know what my gift is, have you asked God? Have you asked God to make it clear to you? Have you spent time in prayer? Have you considered fasting and saying, God, please reveal to me my place? And this is so important partly because the gift that God has given you doesn't belong to you. Imagine a scenario with me for a moment. So, so imagine, all right, you, you've got an extended family, and uh, all of you decide once a year we're going to get together for a big family reunion. We're all going to get together at a park. We're going to barbecue some hot dogs and hamburgers, and we're going to have this great time together. All the kids will be playing. We'll, we'll have a really fun time. And, and you do this once a year, and you're, you're at the fifth one. You've been doing this for five years. And so at the fifth one, you're sitting with some of your family members afterwards, and you're talking about what a great time you had. And, and one of you says, you know, th- this is always a fun time. But you know what would really make this even better? Is if when we gathered together, we had a volleyball net. I mean, how fun would that be to just set that up? All the kids get in on it. You can have like 100 people on each side. It's really, really fun. Wouldn't it be great if we had a volleyball net to be able to make part of these family get-togethers? And everybody says, yeah, that would be really fun. Um, But none of us have one. And then one of the cousins says, oh, I have one. It's in my garage. Everybody says, well, that's great. I mean, I I wish we would have known this earlier, but this is great. So you've got a volleyball net in your garage. How how long have you had this net? And he says, oh, I've had it for five years. Well, wish you would have said something before then. You've had this volleyball net for five years. Well, Well, how did you get this net? And he says, well, when a family friend heard that we were gonna start having these annual get togethers, He gave me a volleyball net to bring to these so that the entire extended family could enjoy volleyball at our get-togethers. You suddenly would have some words for your cousin. 
say, this is not okay. Why are we just hearing about this now? Why did you never bring the volleyball net to any of these events? And he might respond and say, well, it was given to me. I figured I could do with it what I wanted. Your spiritual gift was given to you, but it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the church. It belongs to the people of God. It was given to you for the benefit of others. So we need to have some urgency about this. You are not just missing out on your own self-actualization by neglecting your gift. You are robbing God's people of something that they need. So in public settings, do your job. But there's one more movement up here because Paul is going to say, you know what, Timothy, there's going to be difficult moments when you need to do your job. There's going to be public moments when you need to do your job. But Timothy, there's also going to be hidden moments when you need to do your job, when you need to do your job, when nobody else notices that you're doing your job. And in each of these two verses, Paul ends with something that's going to be of public impact, but he builds to it by talking about private things that Timothy is going to do. So verse 16, he says, be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. That's the goal, Timothy. That's the dream. The dream is that all the people would see your progress. They'd see that you're growing in your character. They'd see that you're growing in your giftedness, not just so that they would admire you, but so that they could be inspired to do the same, so that they'll benefit from you using their, your gifts and so that they'll be inspired to also make progress. But you know what, Timothy? Nobody's going to be able to see your progress if you're not diligent in these matters, if you're not giving yourself wholly to them when nobody else is looking. Basically, the same thing happens in verse 16. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely. In other words, pay attention so that you're living the way that God has called you to live in your personal life, and also pay close attention so that you don't stray from the truth in your beliefs. Man, Timothy, live your life close to the Bible. Test things that you start to believe against what the Bible says. Keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And that end is it's kind of a weird thing, you might say, Timothy's not going to save anyone. Timothy doesn't save people. God saves people through Jesus. But it seems like what Paul is saying is, Timothy, just remember what you are doing when you're doing God's work is of such significance that it relates to people's eternal salvation. Timothy, by doing your job, people will get saved. By doing your job, people will hear the gospel. And that's true not just of the public proclamation, but all of the things that we're doing up front or behind the scenes. If you are faithful in what you're doing, people are going to come to eternal life in Jesus Christ. But that's not going to happen if in hidden moments you're not watching your life and watching your doctrine. Paul is saying, you know what, Timothy? There's going to be times when there's going to be nobody to reward you except God. Nobody's going to know the things that you're doing in private. Nobody's going to know the way that you're pouring over prayer over an issue in your life. Nobody's going to know the private ways that you're fighting against sin and fighting for righteousness. Nobody's going to know the hours that you're spending reading God's Word and journaling about it, fasting and meditating on it. Other people aren't going to know because they're going to be in the hidden moments. But Timothy, if you want to have the impact, you've got to do your job when nobody's looking. A couple years ago, Karina and I took our family to the Hollywood Bowl, and we got to listen to a couple of orchestras that did some classical music. And it was, it was a really fun time. 
And uh, I'm, I'm not a super musically inclined person. I, I don't really know anything about music. That might come out as I give this illustration. Um, but but the, the featured person in this orchestra was this lady who was playing the violin. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not super well-versed in music. I love the violin. I think it's the most amazing instrument to listen to. And this woman was so amazing. She was so gifted, and the spotlight was on her. And we were just all enraptured. We, we were all brought joy and excitement. It was like something magical to get in on what this woman was able to do with the music that emanated from that violin. It was a beautiful moment that would never have been possible without a lot more time behind the scenes than was spent out in front of people. I mean, how many hours must she have practiced? How many hours must she have learned the music and rehearsed and rehearsed the different hand movements and handled? I mean, it, it must have been absolutely staggering the amount of time she spent playing when nobody else was listening before she played for all of us. And just imagine if when this was going on, she was talking to her violin instructor and the violin instructor told her, this is how many hours you need to be rehearsing. And she said, you know what? I didn't learn the violin so that I could play for no one. I learned the violin so that I could play in front of crowds. I want people to be brought into the wonder and the power and the magic of what music can bring. That's what I want. Then what the instructor would say is, if you want public excellence, You've got to have private diligence. And you know what, for all of us, there's a lot of us that we say, man, I, you know what I want? I want that moment where I'm in there with the kids and I tell them something and they're all just blown away and their eyes get real big and they're excited about something about God. Or you know what I want as a small group leader? I want to be at the point that everybody's looking at our small group and saying, this is the best life group ever. We're all connected to each other. We're all praying for each other. We're all growing in Christ. That's what we want. We want the result. We want that end product. Man, I want to be so good at leading worship that people are just brought into the moment. I want to be so good at teaching that people know God's word better. We want those things. And here's the deal. You're never going to get outward impact without hidden diligence. Don't become discouraged when nobody sees what you're doing behind the scenes. When nobody's looking, In hidden moments, do your job. It's not just Timothy that has a job. We all have a calling. We all have a job. And Paul spends this time with Timothy saying just to Timothy, I I need you to stay in there. I need you to keep doing this. Timothy, there's going to be difficult moments when you're discouraged and you're doubted. Keep doing your job. And Timothy, there's going to be moments where it's game time and you got to get after it. And those times, do your job. And Timothy, there's going to be times where you could just sort of cash out and coast. But in those hidden moments, Timothy, do your job. And brothers and sisters... There's going to be times where you're discouraged and you want to abandon the use of your gift. You want to abandon serving in the way God has called you to. You're discouraged and you're doubted. And in those moments, don't try to control what people think of you. Be faithful to do your job. And there's also going to be moments where you're intimidated because it's game time. And when it's game time, that means that you could fail. That means that you could look foolish And so you could shy away and say, well, I'm just going to stay hidden and I'm just going to practice, but I'm never actually going to go forward and use my gifts. Don't neglect your gift in public moments. Don't try to control the outcome. Just do your job. And there's going to be hidden moments where we know nobody will know how much we're preparing. 
Nobody will know for sure whether we're doing the things behind the scenes that we're supposed to be doing. But in those hidden moments, man, if you want the impact in those hidden moments, do your job. But there's something else that I want to remind us all of before we leave that, this subject, and that's this. You, we, we could listen to all this, and it could start to feel pretty daunting. You could start to feel like, gosh, I got a job to do. God's expecting big things from me. God's expecting me to get after it and do all these things when people are watching, when people are not watching, when it's going well, when it's discouraging. God is really expecting me to get after this. In fact, we could even begin to think the reason why God loves me is because I do my job. The reason why I'm in the family, the reason why I'm on the team is because I do my job. And I want you to know that what Paul is actually saying to Timothy is not, Timothy, do your job and then you'll be on the team. He's saying to Timothy, do your job because you're on the team. Do your job because you're in the family. Do your job because you are bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are saved and forgiven forever. You have the security of eternal life. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. In fact, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. In many ways, if you embrace this, what Paul is saying is not so much, Timothy, do your job for God. What he's saying is, Timothy, do your job with God. He's going to be with you every step of the way. He stood by my side and he stood in my place. Jesus will be with you. The Holy Spirit will empower you. Don't look at the call to do your job as an oppressive task that you are living under. Look at it as a liberating invitation to live fully as how God has made you to be. We are part of the blood-bought, redeemed by the Spirit, people of God. Nothing will ever change that. Do your job out of the pleasure of that. And taking that in... What more perfect way to celebrate the fact that we have been bought and redeemed by the blood of Jesus than to get to experience a baptism here at the end of the service. Um, In a minute, we're going to get to see a short video just to walk us through the story of the person who's going to get baptized, and then we're going to get to experience this together. But, But let me just say this. We believe here at Life Bible Fellowship Church, we believe that baptism is not what saves us. We don't believe that any ritual can save us. We are saved by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and our faith in Him. But baptism is one of the most profound symbols and pictures of the spiritual reality that happens when we become believers. Going down into the water symbolizes the death to the old self. And being brought back out of the water symbolizes the resurrection to new life. We die with Him and we're raised to new life with Him. So as we get ready to see this and to celebrate together. Let's all take in the remembrance of what this is a symbol of. This is a symbol of the God who brings life out of death and beauty out of ruins. So let's enjoy this video together.